Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, for many of our families and uh, those with kids, this is the beginning of spring break. Um, and we have uh, some visitors here for spring break, I think. It's some of our folks gone for spring break. And if you think about that concept, so much of our lives are built around breaks, times of rest, times of relaxation. God created in us a need for daily rest and sleep, and we don't function very well if we go too long without that rest. And even more, as we think about the weeks and months and years, so many are working for the rest that the weekend offers, or working for retirement and the peace and rest that can be found there. Uh, I grew up in an educator family. My dad was a a teacher and coach and principal and superintendent, and my mom was a teacher. And so our year was always marked by the breaks, the rest that came during the school year. It was about, you know, getting to Labor Day or getting to Christmas break or, or getting to spring break like we have now. And so we do things that, that we enjoy for rest and relaxation during those times, whether that's watching Oompa Loompas on the stage and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory like so many families did uh, last night. Or, or you go to the mountains or you go to the beach or maybe you just stay home because you're worn out and you're tired and you just want to rest or catch up on work that is there. Or we think of even greater, longer rest. We think of the rest of summer break. Just ask our teachers in the audience how great that rest can be. That's one of my quickest amens. I like that. Well, rest is attractive to us, isn't it? And we work for it. And we anticipate it. And we bemoan it when it's gone. And some of you bemoan it before it's even gone, right? It's about to be gone. And we know that rest, of course, biblically speaking, is, is more than just a cessation of work. We're, we're doing something that we enjoy, something fulfilling. Rest is, I've heard it described this way, it's, it's living the ideal life in the right conditions. That's rest. Uh, when Brother Colley was here, uh, he talked about that idea. He said something along the lines of, rest is more than sitting down and taking a nap. Um, and he's right, but Stephanie leaned over to me after he said that, and she said, but a nap sounds pretty good too. And, and for tired people, rest, rest always sounds good doesn't it? And this morning, I, I want us to think about rest from a spiritual perspective and think about a greater rest that is available to us this morning. And our main text will be in Hebrews chapter 4, but that's not where I want to start this morning. Instead, let's start in our Old Testament in Exodus chapter 20. If you have your Bible with you, would you take it out and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, the second book in uh, the Old Testament? The 20th chapter, Exodus chapter 20, is a passage, even if you don't know it by chapter, you're familiar with the Ten Commandments. And, and God is giving these commandments probably from His own mouth as He speaks from the cloud that is over Mount Sinai. And we could read uh, through these commandments, but I want us to focus on verse eight through, verses 8 through 11. So, this is the fourth commandment. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day 
The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Who does that leave out? Nobody. Nobody. Everybody is supposed to stop and not do any work. For, verse 11, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He made it holy, set apart, sanctified for His purposes. Now we say rightly that in the New Testament all other of the Ten Commandments are repeated except this one, to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But in the Hebrew, you know which of the commandments that God spends the most time on, which commandment He uses the the most words explaining? It's this one, to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Maybe that's because we are more likely to misunderstand this commandment than the others, and certainly it is more misunderstood today. But isn't it also because God wanted us to pay particular attention to this commandment? Because if not, if He didn't explain it thoroughly, we might miss the significance of what it is God is doing here. The Sabbath day is central to the old law, to the law of Moses, as central to that law and that relationship between God and His people as even, as even the tabernacle where God dwelt. If you turn over to Leviticus chapter 19, we see these two ideas put together. One book over to the right, the book of Leviticus and chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 30. Here's what God says in regard to various laws. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. The Sabbath and the sanctuary. In regard to our relationship with God, there's a time and there's a place. And their life revolved around this idea of the seventh day and what went with that. Just a few chapters over in Leviticus chapter 23, if you turn over there. Leviticus chapter 23. In verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim, which you shall proclaim to be a holy convocations, these are my feasts. Verse 3: Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So the seventh day is set aside as this day of rest, but not just the seventh day. The idea of that Sabbath or seventh rest comes up over and over and over. If you were to keep reading here in chapter 23 of the book of Leviticus, there are seven major feast days that are commanded. And all of those feasts are associated with and tied back to this idea of the Sabbath and rest. That's why when he's introducing these feasts in Verses 1 and 2, he begins with the Sabbath. Even though the Sabbath wasn't a feast like these others, it's the foundation for these uh, festivals and feasts that the, the Jews would have observed. Even the land 
has a Sabbath. If you turn over to Leviticus chapter 25, Leviticus chapter 25, notice beginning uh, in verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. What shall? The land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow in your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune in your vineyards. What grows of its own accord of your harvest you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a year of rest for the land. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you. For you, your male and female servants, your hired man, and the stranger who dwells with you, for your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, all its produce shall be your food. Six years you work, six years you work the land. But the seventh year, every seventh year, you don't. And you rely on God to provide the things that you need. But, but that's not all. Not just seven days in the week with the seventh day of rest. Not just seven festivals in a year. Not just seven years with that seventh year being a year of rest. There's also a cycle of seven times seven. Forty-nine years. And in the fiftieth year, there is a year of jubilee. Drop down to verse 8. And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself. Seven times seven years. And the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you forty-nine years, he says. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a, a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to his own possession. And each of you shall return to his family. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you, in that you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is the jubilee. It shall be holy to you, and you shall eat its produce from the field. If you were to sit down and make the Jewish calendar, what you find is it's about sevens of rest. Seven days, seven feasts in a year, seven years of rest, seven times seven, the Jubilee. Their whole calendar was built around this concept of rest, and specifically resting on the seven. And we understand that that number seven indicates completion and perfection. The rhythm of their lives was tied up in rest. And this was something that was unique to the Jews. Um, Jewish scholar, a Jewish scholar by the name of Nahum Sarna says, The Sabbath is holy and Israelite innovation. There is nothing analogous to it in the entire ancient Near Eastern world. No other people did this. They didn't take off years of work. They didn't take off days of work. And certainly they didn't expect for the land to give them uh, things to eat when they didn't tend it and they didn't work it. This was only something for the people of God. And so, as an Israelite, if you lived in these times, 
What was this Sabbath supposed to commemorate? What is this rest for? Well, two things come immediately to mind. The first is creation. You turn back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, God has been working for six days. And though God's work is obviously grander and different than ours, it is just that plain old word for work that we find that God is doing in creating all things. And evening and morning were the first and second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth days. But then we get to the seventh day. And in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now why did God need to rest? Was God tired? Was he worn out from creating all things? We know better than that. Even the enormous work to create the universe. God God does not grow weary. He does not faint. He didn't need a break from working too hard. Instead, God, as the Creator, laid aside the work so that the work and the worker, He Himself, might be appreciated by and and that that work might be shared with His people. All of this work was done so that He might put Adam and Eve in the garden and so that He might have a relationship with them and fellowship with them. He gets to share and enjoy the work that He has created. And there was no evening and morning on the seventh day recorded in the text because rest is the expectation from that day forward, from the seventh day forward. And without the interruption of sin, they would have lived in that rest, that seventh day rest. And that's echoed later in Exodus chapter 31 when the Sabbath is described. If you want to turn over there, one again, one book over to your right to Exodus chapter 31. Notice beginning in verse 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak also to the children of Israel saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign, a sign between me and you throughout all your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You're my people. You're set apart. And this Sabbath day is something that shows that you are my special people. You shall keep the Sabbath, verse 14. Therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. That's serious, isn't it? For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day He rested and He was refreshed. And so He draws their mind back to the creation. And we need not forget that it's Moses who is writing these things in Exodus, just as he wrote them um, in the book of Genesis. 
And Moses is explaining to them, this is why we keep this day. Because of the creation and because of God's perfect rest in the Garden of Eden. But the Sabbath doesn't just look back to the creation for them. It also looked back to something much more recent in their history. It looked back to the Exodus. And so if we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5, the last of these books of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 5, as he is recounting the Ten Commandments, there's something slightly different that we find, a, a further explanation. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle. He's given us even more things that are involved in this rest. Nor any stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Remember, Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So it's not just the creation that's in view, it's also their deliverance from Egypt that's in view. And and even the servants don't work on the Sabbath day because you were slaves, he said, and you needed rest and I gave it to you when I brought you out of the land. Now you and all of your people and all of your servants and all of your animals, they need to rest as well. This deliverance from bondage, this deliverance from the unfulfilling work of slavery. And so it commemorated God. And it was about God and their relationship with Him as their Creator and as their Deliverer. A reminder of what He had done and what He could continue to do for them. We remember what Jesus says in the New Testament. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was intended by God to be a blessing. But it was also an opportunity for teaching. God's rest reminded them that He had saved them from slavery. And every week they were reminded of that deliverance from bondage. But it also reminded them that they were... They were still not their own masters because God created them. And God put them in the environment where He wanted them to be. And so there are three important reminders that the Sabbath gave them every week that would be important for us to remember as well. Number one, they were reminded that they were not masters of their own time or even their own work. They were not the ones who determined the ebb and flow of their lives. Sure, for six days, they could determine how they were going to use those days, but the seventh day was set aside by God. And God was ultimately the one who directed their lives. He made the calendar for them. And so the easy application is, does God direct our lives? Do we view ourselves as masters of our own time? Do we make our plans with God in mind or without God in mind? When it comes to those of us who are Christians and what we do, we build 
our weeks around Sunday, don't we? This is where we're going to be. And our tradition uh, here is for Wednesday nights. And for me, you know, that's something that's going to happen. You'll find me here or worshiping somewhere no matter what on those two days. Everything within my control, I'm going to try and make sure that I'm with God's saints. And not just that, of course, every day. I'm supposed to be found serving Him, using my time and my energy and my work for Him. God builds our calendar too, or at least He should. And so what is our attitude in regard to our time and our God? Do we just try and work Him into our schedule, or do we build our schedule around Him? Because that's what He desires. And that's what He requires. They were not masters of their own time, and neither were they masters of their own land or their own things or their own possessions. No matter how well things were going or how desperately bad things were, whether it was a time of plenty or a time of famine, they were required by God not to work on the seventh day and not to plant and work in the seventh year for the harvest. And it doesn't matter what else you've done or not done. The seventh day and the seventh year belong to the Lord. He is the Creator and He is the Deliverer and He is the Provider. Can you imagine growing up in an agricultural society like that? If you don't plant, you don't eat. If you don't work, you don't eat. To rely on God in that way. So too for us. Do we depend on ourselves and trust in ourselves or do we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, believing and knowing that all these other physical things will be added to us if we seek God first? This was a test by God in some ways of His people. Do you really believe that I'll provide for you if you don't provide for yourself? And this should be our way of life, which brings us to our third point. They were not masters of their own lives, and God wanted to remind them of that every week. You know, Brother Colley was right. The Sabbath day was not just a matter of napping, but setting aside time to think about God and think about His creation. The Sabbath day was not just a day where you could sleep in and not do anything. It was supposed to be for the Lord and to the Lord. It was a built-in time in their life of devotion to God no matter what. And all three of these things require something very important of us. They require faith. Faith in God. That He is the master of time and work and possessions and our very lives that I depend on Him and rely on Him. Do we have this kind of faith? Well, the Sabbath is a great reminder for us. And yet, having said all of that and talked about the importance of this day and this concept for them, the concept of resting on the Sabbath is not repeated for Christians in the New Testament. Why? Why don't we observe the Sabbath as they did? Well, the weekly practice of the Sabbath and even the other feasts and years of rest, those things were just a pointer to something bigger. It is a type or shadow of a greater rest. 
And throughout the Old Testament, we see other shadows of rest. And this is not intended to be an exhaustive or even an extensive list. You can, you can study this and you can fill up a couple of notebooks worth of notes if you want to look at this concept of rest in the Old Testament. But just notice a few examples with me. Uh, in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 29, when we think about the story of Noah, we think about it as a new creation. And certainly that is what it was. But we don't, as often I don't think, read what happens in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 29. When Noah is born, why is he named what he is named? In verse 29 of chapter 5, And he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. With Adam, God cursed the ground when he left that rest. And by the sweat of his brow, he was going to have to labor. Remember? And now we find Lamech, and he says of this one, of this son named Noah, he says, this is the one who's going to comfort us. Maybe your translation says, refresh us from all of our toil and all of our labor. You know what Noah means? It means refresh or rest. And that's what they were when they came out of the ark. They were refreshed. That's what God did with the earth. He refreshed it from sin into holiness and purity. And what we see in the text early on is that they're trying to get back to this state of rest and fellowship with God. Of course, a great example, an obvious example is with the land of Canaan. This was the land of promise, but it was also the land of rest. If you turn to Joshua chapter 21. Joshua chapter 21. We studied this a few months ago in our Bible classes. In Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 through 45, after all the land is divided up among the tribes and the the cities of refuge and the cities of the Levites are all handed out. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which He had sworn to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and dwelt in it. And the Lord gave them rest all around according to all that He had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. All that they were willing to do of God commanded, God God was with them and provided those things. The land was a place of rest. But it wasn't just about the land itself, was it? It was the condition of their lives in that land when they were faithful to God and when God was with them. We talked about in the Bible class just a moment ago, in the time of the judges, The judges of Othniel and Ehud and Deborah and Barak and Gideon, they gave the land rest for 40 years or even 80 years because they were right with God and they weren't oppressed by other nations in bondage. If we go forward to the time of David and those great promises that God gave him in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God gave David rest. But then He promises to David a great kingdom and a messianic king. And one of the promises that that messianic king would bring is lasting and true rest from the enemies of God. Which brings us 
full circle back to the book of Hebrews in our New Testament. Turn to Hebrews, if you would. Specifically, Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 16. The Hebrew writer, in writing to Hebrews, Jews who had become Christians, he is making the argument throughout this book that Christ is superior to so many wonderful things that they saw and experienced in the Old Testament. He begins by saying that Christ is a superior messenger than even the angels. And Christ is a superior lawgiver than Moses. And Christ's law is superior to Moses' law. And Christ's priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood. And Christ's sacrifice of His own blood is far superior to the blood of bulls and goats. And much, much more. So what the Hebrew writer is doing is saying, you see the old law and the shadows of those things, Christ is far better than all of those things. And among the comparisons that he makes, he tells us that the rest, the rest that Christ offers is greater, greater than the rest of Canaan and greater than those Sabbath rests. You're in Hebrews chapter 13. Start with me in verse 16, if you would. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? That's the wilderness generation who fell. Now with them was he, now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. They could not enter into the land of rest and the rest that was provided in Canaan, the promised land. Now notice verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now he can't be talking about the, the promised land because these people were had already experienced that land. The Hebrews had dwelt in that land. And yet he says, a rest remains for you. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. It's about faith that God can provide this rest. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest although the works were finished from the foundations of the world. For He has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, going back to Genesis, and God rested on the seventh day from all His works, and again in this place they shall not enter My rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again He designates a certain day, saying in David... Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. So David, in Psalm 95, says, today we have access to and should look for that rest. For if Joshua had given them rest in the promised land, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent. Let us be diligent to enter that rest, 
lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. It seems to me that the Hebrew writer is making a a chronological argument here. Though Joshua conquered the promised land and gave them rest, later David still spoke of entering God's rest and not being like those unfaithful people in the wilderness who didn't enter God's rest. And since, he says, David comes after Joshua, then obviously the ultimate rest is not the land of Canaan. There still awaits a rest for the people of God, a greater rest. And the Old Testament is not a story of of God's rest being achieved, but a story of God's rest unrealized by His people. And the Hebrew writer admonishes us then, as well as those to whom he was writing, to believe and enter that greater rest in Jesus Christ. The rest of Canaan, the Sabbath day, the feast days, the year of Jubilee, and all the other rest of the Old Testaments are foreshadowing the final, ultimate rest in Christ. And as great as those rests were as important as they were to the people of God of that time, they all pale in comparison to the reality of rest that can be found in Jesus Christ. And isn't that what Jesus indicated when He begins His ministry? When Jesus kicks off what it is He came to do? If you turn to Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, as as he comes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he's about to begin his work on earth, in his hometown, in Nazareth. Read with me beginning in verse 16. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Imagine Jesus standing before the synagogue and reading this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. We'd say you could hear a pin drop. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Who needs rest if not the poor and the brokenhearted and the captives and the blind and the oppressed? And Jesus said, I came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The true Jubilee is here. And it's here in me. Here is the Jubilee. I'm it, Jesus says. Jesus is the fulfillment of all Sabbath rests. And He is here to deliver people out of slavery to sin 
and into the provision of His fellowship and rest. And to emphasize the point, Jesus goes about intentionally healing on the Sabbath day. And the Jews don't like that because they miss the true significance of that day and what that day was all about. Now let me give you just one example in Luke chapter 13. Maybe this is the best example. In in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10, This is one of many examples we could cite where Jesus heals on the Sabbath day. In Luke chapter uh, 13, beginning in verse 10, Now he began teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had the spirit spirit of infirmity 18 years, and was bent over and could no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called to her and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because he had healed on the Sabbath, and he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite! Does not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were being done by him." Jesus is saying, what better day is there to heal someone, to release her from her bondage than on the Sabbath day? And Jesus had more in mind, of course, than just physical healing in doing this. Uh, Churchill says, each Sabbath day the Israelites looked back to remember their deliverance out of Egyptian bondage into rest. And Jesus, by healing on the Sabbath, pointed His people forward to a time when He, by His death, would deliver Israel once for all out of their deep bondage to sin and restore them to the rest and refreshment of pure fellowship in the presence of God. This is the rest that Jesus promises. One more passage, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Jesus says, Come to Me. Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burden is light. Jesus offered rest. And you know the very next thing in Matthew's Gospel in the 12th chapter? They come to Him questioning His actions on the Sabbath day. And Jesus' response, among other things, is, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. If anybody knows what this day is about, it's me. Are you tired? You tired of sin? You tired of frustration? Tired of confusion? Tired of strife? 
Are you tired of being tired of all those things? Are you heavy laden because you've been trying to do it alone? Because you've been relying on yourself? Because you've been working for yourself? Because the burden is too heavy for you to bear yourself? Jesus offers rest. And just like the Sabbath day was a special thing for those people in the Old Testament, Jesus is a special thing, not by birth, but by choice, for all who desire that rest and come to Him. Come to Me, Jesus says, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus offers rest. Provision and fellowship as your Creator and deliverance as your Savior if you will make Him Lord of your life. Rest now. Rest now this morning. And look forward to rest eternally because even in Christ there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God where we can dwell with Him eternally. And though our rest begins now and your rest can begin now in Christ Jesus, we await its perfect fulfillment in heaven someday where we will all rest together with God for all eternity. If that sounds good to you, doesn't that sound good? Better than a nap, even, on a Sunday afternoon? And come now, while together we stand and while we sing. All things are ready, come to you.